Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. I've asked Thanks. Brother Jackie Bonner to come and speak for just a moment. He's a poet. Uh, he's written a bunch of poems and has been published on several occasions and there's a particular poem that I asked him to recite to us leading into this particular message, and so I'll leave it to him. To you that are here at first service, get ready for your second dose. It's all about the race we run in life. <clears throat> there are many races held each year. People like to run. Some run there for profit, while others run for fun. But every runner understands before the race begins, the first to cross the finish line is the only one that wins. With great anticipation, runners crowd the starting line, and each one thinks within himself, the prize will soon be mine. But as the race goes on and on, some can't keep up the pace. They know as others passing by that they won't win the race. As the leader nears the finish line, the crowd begins to cheer. Every other runner knows the end is very near. Though many of them cannot see, they understand the sign. They hear the roaring of the crowd as he crossed the finish line. Down at the winner's circle, his trophy in his hand, he holds it up above his head as high as he can. While other runners standing there have tears in their eyes. Though all of them had run the race, just one had won the prize. So remember now, my brother, when you run in life's race, Though you may be getting weary and you can't keep up the pace, it's not important that you run what place that you're in. You do not have to finish first. Just finish and you'll win. The trophy you'll be given when you cross the finish line is a mansion up in heaven where there is no end of time, where you will live forever with the Father and the Son. So don't give up. Stay in the race and run, brother, run. Thank you. And run, brother, run. The reason I've asked him, I, I, I heard mention of this poem some weeks ago, and I've contemplated whether or not we would use it, and as I was praying, I thought maybe this is a good a time as any. We're about to start a series titled Birthmarks, and that is marks of a disciple. Many of us, are born with legitimate birthmarks. We have, we have marks on our body at the time of birth. But there are also, once we give our life to the Lord, things by which we should be marked in our new birth. Amen? And so I want to talk, for the next five weeks, I'm going to talk about the disciplines of discipleship that should be our birthmarks that should cause us, should we pursue them as, we, as we're supposed to, cause us to hold the trophy up at the finish line and say, I have completed my race and I have, I have honored and glorified the Lord in the race that I've run. Amen? 
And so we're going to talk about birthmarks. And for the next five weeks, I'm going to talk about five of them. And I, I'll explain why in just a moment. But those five are, I'll start today with a student of the word. That is a, dis, a disciple, is a student of the word, steadfast in prayer, engaged in worship, that is worship both in praise and worship and in service because service is an act of worship, committed to fellowship and Christ-centered. Amen? These are the five things that I believe if we chased after, if we pursued at the end of our life, we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's why I chose these and not humility or steadfastness or um, long-suffering or something that we call a fruit of the Spirit. Many of us chase the fruits of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit, right? Man, I'm going to become humble. And I make a decision, I'm going to become humble. And then you find that no matter how hard you try, you can't become humble. Do you know why? Because you're not chasing the right thing. You're chasing the fruit, not the one that produces the fruit. And we produce, we chase the one who produces the fruit by reading our word, by being committed to fellowship, by being steadfast in prayer, by doing all of these things. Fruit happens supernaturally in us. It's not a discipline by which we obtain. We submit ourselves to the disciplines of being a student of the word and these things that should mark us upon being reborn. And so I, I want to tell you and encourage you, stop chasing the fruit of the Spirit. Start chasing the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, the, what God gave you. Start chasing Jesus. And in chasing Jesus, fruit will be supernaturally brought forward. Everybody okay? I can prove this to you in Scripture over in John chapter 5. And I, I didn't go here in the first service, but might as well this time. John 5.15, or John, John 5.15, that doesn't make any sense. John 15, for I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He goes on, talks about the process of that. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much what? Fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And because it's apart from him, we could do nothing to chase anything besides him produces nothing. And so we chase him and we chase him according to our disciplines, being a student of the word, being steadfast in prayer, being engaged in worship, both as an act of song and service, committed to fellowship. That means we have an obligation to discipline ourselves, to gather and encourage and love one another. We have a discipline to be Christ-centered. We should be like Jesus, both in who he is and in his mission. I'm going to cover all of those things over the next few weeks. But my whole point is, I want you for a time to trust me, if you will, and set aside your pursuit of fruit. And instead, chase after the one thing that produces fruit in you, which is the Spirit placed there by the salvation of Christ Jesus made available by God the Father. Everybody all right? All right. So today we're going to start this birthmarks, this rebirth marks in us. 
with a student of the word. If I'm a disciple, I should be a student of the word. Well, that's great. Let me start. Let me back off just a little bit. What is a disciple? I've heard a thousand academic definitions for disciple. But I'm going to make it as simple as I can. A disciple is one who follows and learns. It comes from the original, two original, two Greek words brought together, and those two words mean to follow and to learn. To follow Jesus is to be a disciple of Christ, and to learn from him is to be a disciple of Christ. So discipleship is to learn and follow Christ Jesus. And in order to do that, to be a proper disciple, we should be students of the word. The word, and here's why. Because the word is the literal guidepost of our lives and is necessary in every way. Was that, was that pointed enough? The word is absolutely necessary for every function of your life pertaining to righteousness. And I can prove this to you. If you don't mind, go to 2 Timothy. It's a verse most of you are familiar with. Two verses, actually. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Now, let me, let me break this down for you. First off, it says all Scripture. Everybody say all Scripture. That means there's no portion of the Word that isn't absolutely true. That means all of it, every bit of it, is inspired by God. It means Spirit-breathed. It means it was given by God, breathed by the Spirit, written down by man, perfect in every way and infallible. And so it can be trusted. Everybody okay? Because I don't know if you, about you, but I'm not reading an instruction manual if I don't think I can trust that instruction manual. If I look at something, I'll be like, man, there's no way this is going to look like this if I follow these instructions. I'm not going to follow those instructions. As a dude, I'm probably not going to follow instructions anyway. But you get the idea. This is the instruction manual for our life, and because it's breathed by God, all of it from cover to cover, from front to back, we know that it can be trusted. But what can it be trusted to do? According to this text, it says it can be trusted for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I'm going to break this down. Most of you guys know that I'm half Polish and I'm half Cajun, which means I'm mad all the time, too stupid, know why. So <laughs> it's the reason why I preach the way that I do. I try to make it as simple as I can. Teaching, reproof, correction for training means this. For teaching, which is to say what is right, for reproof, to say what is not right, for correction, how to get it right, and for righteousness, how to stay right. And so all Scripture is inspired and infallible of God, necessary so that we might know what's right, what's not right, what to get right, and how to stay right. Amen? And that's, that's, that's pretty necessary because there are times when I'm not getting it right. 
There are times when I need to be corrected. There are times when I need someone to intercede on my behalf and say, stop, according to the word of God, what you're doing is not right. And all scripture, everybody say all scripture. It's breathed by the spirit is capable of accomplishing that purpose for a purpose so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So you're good. But good in a vacuum doesn't make it any difference. You've been made good. You've been taught what's right, what's not right, how to get right and how to stay right so that others might know too. So that you might be equipped for every good work. Isn't it interesting that everything that God, and you're going to see this throughout this text, and most, not this text, but this lesson, and most lessons I teach, that God never does anything to us that he doesn't expect to do through us. Because if he didn't expect to do anything through us, he would have killed us when he did something to us. Because we're no goodly, we're no earthly good anymore. And yet some of us aren't any earthly good anyway because we're too spiritual. Anyway, that's another story for another time. So, teach, rebuke, correct, train in righteousness. All of these things are necessary as we become students of the word. But what do students of the word do? Pastor Jim, you could tell me I need to be a student of the word, man, and that's awesome. I'll do it. But what do I do? I think that's a large problem with a, a significant percentage of preaching. They say, oh, you're going to hell because of such and such a sin. Can you tell me how to fix that? Can you at least take the time to show me how? And so I've got three points to talk to you about what a student of the word actually does. And the first one, this is going to be a topical sermon, just so you know. So I'm going to need you to take notes or be really fast with your Bible because I am going to use a lot of text because we're talking about the Bible and I should use the Bible. Amen. And so, number one, a student of the word hears the word. We must hear the word so that our faith is built. What does the Bible say? In Romans 10, 17, faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by... The words of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the words of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the words of Christ. Let's take everything out the comma out for a moment. Faith comes by hearing. What if that was a period? It would still be true. Which is why you need to protect what you're hearing. You want to know why Muslims do what Muslims do? You want to know why children blow themselves up? You want to know why terrorism exists? You want to know why people are telling other people that it's okay for a man to dress like a woman, that abortion is okay? You want to know why all these things happen? Because they've heard that lie long enough, they've built their faith on it. But we need to hear a, the truth, the infallible Spirit-inspired Word of God so that we understand what the truth actually is so that we can live according to it. Everybody all right? Thank you. All right, I'm just trying to be very pointed with you today. So faith comes by hearing, by hearing the words of Christ because we protect that which we hear. 
And as, as our faith grows, we hear, but it grows for a purpose. Listen to this. I'm going to read several verses to you. I'm not going to read the verses. I'm going to um, paraphrase them, but I'm going to give you the text so you can go back and look them up. It grows so we may move from dead in our trespasses, according to Ephesians 2.1, pursuing the desires of the flesh, according to Romans 8.5, being unable to please God in Romans 8.8. 8. Did you know that's who you were? Did you know that you were dead in your trespasses, pursuing the desires of your flesh, and unable to please God at, at enmity with Him? That's what the Word of God, that's who you were. That's what the Bible tells us we were. And we can have faith in that because without Jesus, that's who we still are. And honestly, that's our proclivity as we pull ourselves away from Christ. We turn back into that. But God moved us from that to something else according to the all-inspired Word of God. He saved us by grace according to Ephesians 2.8 made us alive in Christ Jesus, according to 2.5, living according to the Spirit, Romans 5.8, and able to please God in Hebrews 11.6. Everything that you were, listen, this is important, you were. Intentional pause. Because everything you were, you were. Stop allowing the enemy to condemn you and convince you that you're still that thing. According to the word of God, I can have faith that what work was performed on my behalf by Christ Jesus was more than sufficient to move me from condemnation to conviction and from conviction to salvation and from salvation to security, that he loves me and holds me and keeps me by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? How do I know that? Because I'm a student of the Word. This isn't information we're born with. This is stuff revealed to us by the Spirit of God as we read the Word of God. So we hear the Word of God. And when we hear the Word of God, we realize what specifically Jesus did for us. Here's what Jesus did for us. He paid the price for us to belong to God. 1 John 2.22, and he himself is the propitiation. That's the atonement, which is to say that he bought us back for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Did you catch that? Isn't that beautiful? You sold yourself into slavery, and God sold his son to get you back. He took the beating and death we deserved so that we might be justified and no longer guilty. Romans 4.25, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, not any of his own transgressions because he didn't have any sin. He was holy and blameless without sin. He became sin so that righteousness might ultimately rule in us. Romans 4.25, he who is delivered over because of our transgression was raised because of our justification and it was his blood that was shed for our innocence for our for the remission of our sins he shed his own blood so that you could be holy and blameless I, the question i always asked when i was 
I, I hadn't been saved very long, really probably the first couple of years. Why? People say, man, you shouldn't ask why. That shows lack of faith. Let me tell you, why based in faith is a very reasonable question. And what I mean by that, why expecting God to answer is a good question of God. How do you expect God to answer questions if you don't have any? Well, when I say why, I'm, I'm showing a lack of faith. No, I want to know why I suffer. And so the Holy Spirit reveals that in his word. I want to know why I deal with what I deal with, and the Holy Spirit reveals that in his word. So why is an, is an okay thing, but we have to trust in the why that Jesus Christ died for us, justified us, shed his blood for us, so that we might have eternal life. But why? Because the Bible says in Genesis, all the way back at the very beginning, if you eat that, you will die, which means something had to die. And Jesus stepped in and took that death on your behalf. You know how I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Hmm, that's good. That's good right there, y'all. And because of all of that, I think it's important that we have the same conviction that Paul had. You know what message Paul had? Paul wrote, wrote like most of the New Testament. He had a bunch of messages, right? Nope, had one. You know what it was? Christ and him crucified. Christ and him crucified. He says in Romans 1.16, this very significant truth, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to those who believe, first to the Jew and then the Gentile. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Let me tell you, I'm not, because I know somehow, some way, even though I can't explain it, there's an incredible mystery of God that when this truth, the truth that I just declared to you, that you were this, but now you can be this because of the work that Jesus Christ did, supernaturally, in a mystery unbeknownst to me, God moves by the power of his Holy Spirit and people are saved. Now, what if I don't say the right thing? What if I mess it up? What if I stammer? What if I stutter? It's by the power of God that people are saved, not by your ability to articulate, not by your charisma, not by anything that you've done. It is by the power of God through the presentation of the gospel that we were sinners, but Jesus gave his life so that we might have eternal life and a confession thereof that we are saved. You know how I know that? It's in the Bible. Y'all, I'm going to ask this question probably 10 more times. The answer, just so you know, is going to be, it's in the Bible. All right? So, in the Bible, in hearing, I realize all of these things and that I realize that it's done for a reason. To make my future look like God's very beginning. Bible says this in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God. Why he says I am God twice? It's to establish his authority to do what he's about to tell you. And there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. You know what the beginning look like? He says, he's going to make your end look like your beginning. 
You know what the beginning was originally designed to look like? It was designed for you to live for eternity. It was designed for you to walk in the cool of the day with the Lord and to be present with him always and in, to enjoy paradise. That was it was design, original design. But we gave it up and we decided that we wanted what we wanted. And so we were kicked out of the garden. But praise God, because I am God, I am God, and I have the authority to do it. I'm going to make your end like my beginning. That's so good. That's a reason to study your word. Be a student of the word. Hear the word. But you don't just have to hear the word. You have to be a student of the word. And as being a student of the word, you need to grow in the word. Everything I've talked about so far is you get into a place where you can understand revelation from the word of God, where you can become saved. Did you know that you have no, an unsaved person reading this book might as well be reading Japanese because they're not going to understand the spiritual consequence of it anyway. You know why? Because they're dead in their sin. This is a spiritual book. They're going to be able to read it. It's not going to look like Japanese, but you know what I'm saying. But we have to grow in the Word. Peter tells his audience to be careful to, to not distort the Scripture, but we have to grow. In 2 Peter 3.18, he says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. Man, this is huge. Big, important deal. Y'all ready for it? Grow in the grace of Christ Jesus. You know what grace is? Unmerited favor. Anything that you got, anything that you got that you didn't deserve, which is everything because you don't deserve anything. We are a fallen creation. The only thing we deserve is the death that our sin is, is, has created. So everything that God gives us is a favor. Amen? So I receive unmerited favor in all things. Grow in my grace. Grow in my understanding of grace. Grow in my knowledge of who gives grace. Grow in my reflection of how grace has been bestowed on my life. You know, until I sit and I stop and I read the word and I see how protective he is and how much he loves me and his, how provisional he is and all that he's accomplished for me, do I truly begin and I just say begin because I don't think you can ever fully grasp the grace, the unmerited favor of a God that loves you for no other reason, according to the word, than because he wants to. Amen? But here's the thing. I told you a little while ago, God never asks you to do anything he doesn't expect to do through you because grace given is grace grown. Grace grown is grace overflowed. You better give up what you got. You have to love people around you gracefully. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 puts it like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I know that's a lot of words, so let me slow it down a little bit. Do nothing out of selfish or empty conceit. Don't do anything because you think you're somebody. Do whatever you do to make somebody a something else, of somebody else. 
pour your life out. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. That's what Jesus did. And not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Man, this, this, that's, that's a hard piece. I have to displace my needs, my wants, my desires so that the needs, wants, and desires of others might be met. Sometimes I have to do without so that those with around me might have what they need. That's true sacrifice. You know how I know all of that? It's in the Bible. Amen. Amen. But we don't only grow in grace, we grow in knowledge of Christ Jesus. We have to grow in knowledge of Christ Jesus, which is only possible as we read the Word, and it's revealed to us by His Spirit. You want to know more about the mercy of God, the mercy of Christ Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, the loving kindness of Christ Jesus? You want to know about the long-suffering of Christ Jesus? All the things that should compel us to love Him more and more? Dig into your Word and watch your knowledge of Him increase. It's impossible for it not to. But again, that which you get, you should give. And so it's not enough for me to absorb all this information about Jesus. I got to tell people about Jesus. Have y'all noticed a theme? It's all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. When we hear the word, we grow in the word. We begin to understand the nuances of the things as we not only hear, but begin to study and meditate. Because it's not just enough to, to hear me talk, as much as I appreciate you coming week in, week out, to hear what probably is not the best sermon in Wilson County today. But you come, but I need you to study and meditate on the word too. I ask you to take notes for a couple of reasons. One, I want you to, I need you to fact check me, make sure I'm not saying something crazy. But two, I want you to then take those notes home and review them and study them and use them as a tool that you can grow deeper in your knowledge and understanding of Christ Jesus. There was a guy I used to go to church with. His name was Brian Jones at Cornerstone. He taught a Sunday school class, man. He was like the most, one of the most gracious dudes I've ever been around. If you talk to this guy or if you heard him talking to somebody, he was talking about Jesus. He was quoting the word. Somebody would ask him a question, he'd quote the word over it. Asked, and I'm not talking about just Bible questions. They'd just be like, hey, man, my life's upside down. Blah, 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 man. I, I don't have peace in my house. And he said, well, let me tell you, according to the word of God, the Bible says you obtain peace through prayer and supplication with a heart of thanksgiving. Over and over and over, every time that brother talked, his mouth was full of the word because he had heard it, he had studied it, he had meditated on it enough that it was part of who he was. And it amazed me. And so I asked him one day, I was envious. I hadn't been saved very long. And I know envy is probably not good, but I was envious. And I went to him and I said, Brian, can I take you to lunch? He said, yeah. So I went... One day during the week, picked him up. We went, ate lunch, 
And I asked him, I said, how do you do that? How do you literally, like your, your words just drip with the word of God? And he said, by reading the word of God. I said, well, tell me the trick. He goes, read the word of God. No, 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 there has to be a system. Y'all know I'm a one plus one plus one equals this. I'm a very linear thinker. Tell me what I need to do. He goes, just read the word. Study the word. Do what the word says. And I said, no, 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 I don't think you get it. Fact of the matter is, he did get it. And it took me a while to get it. But the more you hear it, the more you grow in it, the more you grow in it, the more it becomes part of who you are. Amen? And we should pay attention because if I was watching Brian Jones, somebody's watching you. And how awesome would it be for somebody to call you and say, can I take you to lunch? I want to know how you have a knowledge of the word that I don't seem to have. Man, I think that'd be great. As we grow in the word, having heard it, we become transformed by it. Romans 12.2, Paul tells us to be transformed. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I've heard complete sermons, many of them, just written on this one verse. But let me break this down for you. We have to allow the word through the hearing, the studying, the meditation of it to, to actually do a work in us. Because to hear something, study it, meditate on it, and not allow it to do anything in you is, you just might as well not waste your time. Too many Christians, too many people leave church on Sunday, put their Bible in their back seat, and they pick it up on Sunday morning, bring it into church. And then they ask me, why can't I hear from God? Well, you can't hear from God because you're not reading God's word. You're not reading God's word. You're not hearing God's word. You're not growing in God's word. And therefore, you can't be transformed by God's word. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? It is pivotal if you want to be more like Christ Jesus to read the Word, to study the Word, to meditate on the Word, to grow in the Word. This is absolutely necessary. We want to be transformed. You know what we don't want to be? We don't want to be conformed. I think Paul uses these two words very specifically. He says, do not be conformed. What's the difference between conformed and transformed? Let me tell you the difference. Here's, the, here's what conformed is. Conformed is what the world wants to do to you. They have a mold that they want to put you in. And they're going to pressure you. They're going to pile in on top of you. They're going to tell you it has to be this way. It has to be this way. And you have to look like this. You have to walk like this. You have to talk like this. If you're going to be part of us, if you're going to be made in our image, then you have to be shoved into this space and be conformed as we're telling you to be conformed. You know what? That's horrible because I ain't trying to be like the world. The Bible says, in fact, we shouldn't be like the world because we're not of this world. Amen? 
But transformed, now that's something different. Transformed is to be moved from one nature to another nature. To move from who you were to who you are becoming and who you will be. Now it's a process, but so is hearing a word. So is growing in a word. You have to be transformed not conformed, which is reasonable because the Bible says that if transformed means to move from one nature to another nature, then that makes sense because the Bible also says that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, which literally is to say we don't have the same nature we used to have. We're not who we used to be. I would ask myself, and I mean go find a corner in your room somewhere, shut off the lights, close your eyes, get down on your face, do whatever it is you need to do to get time alone with God, and ask God this simple question. Do I look different to you than I did a year ago when I gave my life to the Lord? And if the answer is no, I would ask if you really gave your life to the Lord. You're saying, Pastor Jim, that's judgy. It's not judgy. That's according to the word. People say, how you know they're saved? People come up here and it, it, it frustrates me, really. They'll come up here and they'll, they'll come to the altar and they'll make a confession and they got saved. And then they go out here and they live like hell. They didn't get saved. They had emotional response without conviction. You know, the only way to determine salvation, if you're going to judge it, and the Bible says, contrary to what you think, we are to judge the people who confess Jesus Christ. You know how you judge it? The only way you can judge it is time. If I'm different today than I was yesterday, different a year from now than I am to now, different 10 years from now than I am now, or different now than I was 10 years from now, and I've become more righteous, I am in the process of transformation. Transformation isn't an instantaneous thing. You are made instantaneously holy through Christ Jesus, but the work of the Spirit is a continual process, a transforming process in us. How does that happen? That happens because let's pretend for a second, my head's a bucket. It's not really that hard to pretend, but I kind of look bucket-headed anyway. And this bucket is filled with filthy water. I mean, just putrid, filthy water. And I take clean water and I take a glass and I dump that glass in there. Because it's full, some of that putrid water is going to come out. I get another glass, I pour another glass in this putrid water and another amount of putrid water is going to come out. And then I put more clean, more is going to come out. More clean, more is going to come out. At some point, my head's not going to be full of putrid water anymore. It's going to be full of pure water. This is what transforming looks like. Don't get yourself messed up if you're still in the middle of pouring glass into your bucket. Just keep pouring glass into your bucket. And there's a benefit to it. You know what the greatest benefit to it is? According to this verse, I'll know the will of God. You know how hard it is to see through a bucket full of muddy water? But clear, clear crystal water, you can see through. And I want to know the will of God. 
says the acceptable, the good, and the perfect will of God, which is why I believe it's a process because good is one thing or acceptable is one thing. It's probably minimal. Good is moderate and excellent is exactly that. It's the excellent way. And so as my bucket through the process of transformation and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit continues to be refilled with pure water, I could see a little bit better and I could see a little bit better and I could see a little bit better until finally I know what the will of God is. How many of you would like to know what the will of God is? If not over your own life, over the life of your children or over the life of your family members or over the life of your friends. All of us desire to know what the will of God is. And we do that by transforming, not conforming to a world that we're not supposed to be in anyway. Amen? This is what God's called us to. Be students of the word, to hear, to grow, and to be transformed by the word of God. You know how I know that? It's in the Bible. There's a guy... I want to say it's Carl Barth. I'm not sure if that's right. I've quoted this. It's been several years. But Carl Barth was asked one time, Carl Barth is an incredible theologian. So, so smart. Like you have to read his books like five or six times to even begin to understand pieces of what he's talking about. And they asked him in an interview, they said, what is the most theologically complex statement you've ever heard. You know what he said? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you can get a hold of that, all the theology in the world, you've got a hold of that too. But you get a hold of that as you pursue God by being a student of the Word. Let me pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've given us your word. You didn't have to. You could have made us grasp around in the dark, uncertain of what you expected or desired from us, but you didn't. You show us from front to back of your book that there is a redemptive story in Christ Jesus. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you give us a passion, a heart, a desire, the motivation, the discipline to be students of the Word, the Word that you gave us, the Word that is inspired by your Spirit. God, so that we might be everything that we've, we've called us to be, so that we might know and walk in your will for our life, so that the people around us may, through us, come to know you too. I thank you for your word. I pray, God, I worship you and I praise you for the word. I'm not even sure what word to use, but I am blessed to be able to hold your word in my hands. I ask that you never, that we never grow so accustomed to it that we set it aside and forget it. I praise you, Lord, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.